Good morning, Bethel. How's everyone this morning? Good, man. I am glad to see you all here today. We are continuing in week eight of our series on, um, <laughs> on emotions. And we have been walking through, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn today as we talk about our, our series on emotions. And I want to shift gears and talk about where emotions come from, which is, we're going to see today, emotions come from the heart. The Bible tells us multiple times that what we put into our heart will come out again through our emotions and through our actions. The heart I'm speaking of is that mysterious, wonderful, confusing part that enables you to, to love, to laugh, to fear, to experience life. Now, when we think about the heart, there's different rhythms of the heart. As you can tell, you know, I have a, a normal rhythm to our service. Our normal rhythm to our service is we sing some songs. You guys know I get up here and speak. And... After that, these guys get off the stage. What are you guys doing up here this morning? Trying to be efficient and like get some things done, you know, early. You get a little bit of a hurry. Is that what it is? You guys are messing up my rhythm this morning. So can you guys like go ahead and get your stuff and get off the stage? <laughs> There are rhythms in life, just like you're used to the normal rhythm of Sunday morning. You guys could tell I was having a hard time even starting my message this morning because it threw me so much out of rhythm with all of them back, back there messing me up. So we're shifting gears to talk about the rhythms of the heart because the heart is by which all of these emotions, all of these actions flow out of the heart. It's the sphere from which all relationships are made or broken. Life can be hard on the heart. The world is full of influences that have the power to disrupt the rhythms of the heart. Our heart has a rhythm. Most are subtle. Some may even appear to be necessary as protection from further disruptions. Over time, you develop sensitivities. If those things that disrupt the rhythms of the invisible heart, if they linger, if they linger, if left alone, they can linger for a lifetime and destroy your heart. After a while, we come to accept these disruptors as part of us, part of our personality. And so we catch ourselves saying things like this, and maybe this is you. This is just the way I am. Take it or leave it. This is just the way that I am. But those closest to you know that's not true. That's not just the way you are. It's that your heart and the rhythm of your heart has been set differently. So let me ask you a question to start our service this morning. Very simple question. How's your heart? How's your heart? 
I didn't ask you how are things on the job. I didn't ask you how's school going. I didn't ask you how's your finances, how's your family. No, I asked you how's your heart, your spiritual heart, how is it doing this morning? The chances are you've never considered your spiritual heart. And why should you? Why should you consider your heart? I mean, there's meals to fix, there's emails to respond to, there's kids to pick up from practice, there's bills to pay. At the end of the day, if you're caught up on all of these things and someone asks, how are things going, you'll smile and say, okay, my to-do list is done. Things are good. I feel okay. But this is a different question. This is a more important question. And yes, it's an awkward question. I'm going to ask you again. How your heart this morning? Perhaps the major reason we rarely stop to monitor or consider our heart and the rhythm of our heart is that it was never taught to us as children. As children, we were taught to monitor our behavior and not our heart. In other words, we were taught to behave. If we behave properly, Good things happen, regardless of what was going on in our hearts. If we misbehaved, not so good things happen. My parents growing up, they believed in spanking. So the not so good things got my attention very early. The spankings taught me to modify my behavior. I modified my behavior so does to avoid pain. You all learn to modify your behavior to avoid pain. We all do. Consequently, you and I have become much, <clears throat> much better at monitoring our behavior and neglecting our hearts. But all this pretending can be problematic because pretending allows you to ignore the true condition of your heart. As long as you say that right thing or do that right thing, you're tempted to believe that all is well. Why? Because that is what your childhood experience taught you. But when your public performance becomes too far removed from who you are in your heart, you're set up for trouble. Eventually, your heart, the real you, will outpace your attempts to modify and monitor everything you say and do. Eventually, what is in your heart comes out. Eventually, what is in your heart you see in the behavior, what is in your heart comes out through these emotions that we have walked through over the last seven weeks. You cannot continually hide it. This will seep through your actions, your character, your relationships. If your heart continues to go unmonitored, whatever that thing, which we're going to look at today, that thing that is there, is growing in there, will worsen to the point that you are no longer able to contain it and carefully manage your words and behaviors and what's in here will eventually be evident to everybody else out there. It will come. It will happen. So I'm going to ask you again, how's your heart? How is the rhythm of your heart 
this morning. We know in the days of Jesus that the religious leaders of his day kept all the right rules, but Jesus tells us their hearts were wicked. By the time Jesus arrived on the scene, more than 500 rules had been added to the law of Moses by God himself. And these extra 500 rules that were created by man, the rule's sole purpose was to prevent the Jewish people from accidentally breaking one of the original commandments from the law of Moses. For example, the law of Moses forbade commerce on the Sabbath. So they added a clause that forbade the handling of money on the Sabbath. You know, when we were in Jerusalem a few years ago, they continued to make these laws and laws like, you know, one of the, you're not to work on the Sabbath. We, you know, that's one of the laws of Moses. And so they, in Jerusalem, we're in, in our hotel on the Sabbath, you know, you're standing in a corridor and there's, you know, four elevators and there's the Sabbath elevator. And we're like, what, what in the world is the Sabbath elevator? Well, the Sabbath elevator, they've created these rules to prevent them from working that if they push the button on the elevator, that creates energy, and by the creation of energy, it's forcing someone to work somewhere, and so they cannot be on that elevator and push that button. So they have a Sabbath elevator that stops at each floor, goes all the way up, and then it comes back down to the bottom, so nobody has to push a button. That's their way, or if one of us non-Jewish people walk into the corridor and they're waiting for the Sabbath elevator and it's one of the top floors and we push the button to get in the elevator, they'll all pile in with you and then ask you to push the button for, for them. You know, just this is the craziness of the things that Jesus, that was maddening to Jesus in his day when he would say, you guys are nuts. You guys are added all of these extra laws to the law of Moses, this continual of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus, he paid very little attention to their man-made traditions. While he and his disciples observed the law of God, Jesus, which is kind of fun to look at, we're going to look at one of these today, he seemed to go out of his way to violate these man-made laws of the Jewish religious people. The religious authorities would often point out these infractions as evidence of his blatant disregard of the law. And they would say, see, you've broken the law. Therefore, you can't be a spokesman or the son of God. And Matthew records an incident for us that we're going to look at today here in just a moment in Matthew chapter 15. And interestingly, the rule that got Jesus into hot water is a rule that we have all around our house and all around probably your house as well. Um, I'm going to take that down for just a minute. I'm not quite there yet. Um, that, that rule that we have around our house is, what's one thing that you have to do before you eat dinner? There we go. Wash our hands. My wife, as the kids sit down, almost every meal, go wash your hands. Go wash your hands. Go wash your hands. According to one of those extra 500 man-made laws, everybody was supposed to wash from the tips of their finger to the corner of their elbow before they were to partake of food. This wasn't from the law of Moses. This is one of those man-made rules that the Pharisees and Sadducees had made up. So it was not required by the law of Moses. Is it a good idea? Yeah. 
we're supposed to wash our hands? Is it a sin? Are you breaking the law of God if you don't wash your hands before you eat? No, no, it's not. But this had taken over the, the Jewish community as one of the original laws handed down from Mount Sinai. But Jesus ignored this rule. And we're going to see how the Pharisees lose their marbles this morning at Jesus for not washing his hands. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. All right, clearly these guys had something that they needed something to do. Because here they are standing in the presence of a man who they had seen heal the sick, make the blind to see, the lame to walk, and they are coming over wanting to bust his chops because he doesn't make his followers wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus answered their question with a question. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> he turns it right back around on them. The Pharisees accuse him of ignoring the rules they had tacked onto the law. And Jesus, in turn, accuses him of breaking the law in order to keep one of their tacked-on rules. He just completely flips it on them. Then before they can respond, he launches into this mini-scathing sermon. He doesn't hold back. He calls them hypocrites. He accuses them of nullifying the word of God for the sake of their homemade traditions. Let's read it here, verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. What did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Man, he just lets them have it here. And as soon as he finishes with the Pharisees, Jesus turns his attention to disciples. And he continues to play on this theme of cleanliness. This idea of, of being clean when he says, And he called the people to him and he said, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the person. Here's the insight. Here's what he is saying. What enters a per person's mouth will ultimately pass through the body. Now that Jesus, he has their attention, he drives his point home, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Come on, isn't Jesus going to know? <laughs> this is kind of a crazy question the disciples are asking. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. 
And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. I'm going to read that again. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. You see, all of the rituals, all the cleanliness, all of the laws that they had in the Jewish tradition were all about external cleanliness. And Jesus said, it's not about what's on the outside, it's about what's on the inside. He point, his point is that God is not nearly as concerned about what goes in the mouth as what he is that comes out of your mouth. God is not as concerned about what goes into our bodies as what he is about what comes out of our bodies. This was new territory for the Jews. All of their dietary laws that they had, that they had um, followed all of their, their history. This was blowing their mind, and Jesus was saying that God was more offended by what came out of them by than what went into them. But it was this comment that must have gotten their attention, that comment, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. Come from the heart. Everything that comes out of the mouth. Really? Everything? Really, Pastor Robert? Everything? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying here. At, at first glance, we kind of think, you know, I kind of, I'm inclined to disagree. Surely not not everything that comes, not everything that I say originates in my heart. And if you, like me, there's been plenty of times you've said stuff that you really didn't mean. Again, we've covered our mouths and we've muttered, I don't know where that came from. Where did that come from? I didn't, I didn't mean that. Jesus says that it came from the heart. It came from within. I've said many times, that the tongue is a muscle that is tied directly to your heart. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. But it gets worse. Jesus goes on to say the heart is not only responsible for your words, but it's responsible for your deeds as well. Verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. <laughs> Jesus is turning their whole paradigm upside down. Because they kept thinking, I'm defiled by what I put in, by how I prepare it, by the cleanliness on the outside. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. God looks on the heart. It is from the heart that determines the cleanliness of a person. And evil thoughts, you might say, man, Pastor, I thought evil thoughts originated in my mind. If Jesus is right, and I'm, I'm betting he is, it's my mind is the source of, you know, my heart is the source of all of my thoughts. And it goes deeper than that. My evil thoughts they originate not in my mind, but they originate in my heart. Take a look at the other items on the list. They're all actions. 
deeds and behaviors. They all come from the heart. And the implications for us for this, they're huge. They're huge. Our tendency is to monitor our behavior while ignoring our hearts. After all, how do you monitor your heart? How do you monitor it? Keeping an eye on behavior is easy. Besides, I have a lot of help with that. People will tell you when you're not behaving correctly. People, you have a lot of help with your behavior, but not with your heart. It's a little bit more complicated. The items on Jesus' list emanate from the heart, then we can clearly, we clearly need a new strategy to monitor our heart. After all, if we knew how to monitor our hearts, if we knew how to deal with trouble at its source, then perhaps if we dealt with trouble at its source, we would see a change in behavior. It's a little revolutionary, isn't it? That's foundational. If we get to the source, then maybe the behavior will change. Makes you wonder why no one ever taught this. Cardiologists used a procedure on the heart called, called an, an audiogram to diagnose the health of a patient's heart. An audiogram is an x-ray of the arteries taken after dye is injected into the bloodstream. My dad has had this performed on him when he had a stent put in. Maybe you've had an audiogram. The dye allows the doctor to pinpoint the blockage in the heart and the blockage in the arteries that serve as conduits to carrying blood to the heart. If a blockage is discovered, a skilled cardiologist then can then stick a stent in through the leg to go up and clear the blockage in the artery running to the heart and repair those damaged regions. Now you can go on YouTube if you're curious and you can watch some of these. They've got them on video. It's crazy to think as you see that dye go through and hit that blockage then they have the stent come in and clear the, the artery. Even an untrained eye, like my eye, I don't know, there's no cardiologist sitting here this morning. Our, our untrained eye, we can see the dye and how it stops at the artery that is blocked. It's an amazing thing to watch on video. But apart from an audiogram, a life-threatening heart problem can go undetected for years. For years, an individual who has blockage will experience all kinds of different symptoms. But these symptoms may not be directly associated with the heart. Blockage of the artery can manifest itself through back pain, inability to sleep, anxiety, loss of appetite, indigestion, nausea, vision change, even loss of memory. A blocked artery can cause all of these things to happen to an individual. And all of these symptoms can be and often are treated as isolated issues unrelated to the heart. And the right medication can take the edge off of these symptoms for a period of time. But the problem, of course, is that treating the symptoms only does what? It only masks the real culprit. 
worse, it delays treatment of the real problem, thus allowing the problem to only worsen. Likewise, so many times we are tempted to treat behavior. We want to treat our behavior and change behavior not looking at the true reason for that behavior or those actions or those emotions. It's the heart. It's the heart that God has given us. You know, just as a heart attack has the potential to destroy your body, so spiritual heart disease has the potential to destroy you and squeeze the life out of every relationship that you have. You see, God looks on the heart. God does not look on the outside. He looks on the heart. You know, whenever we, as believers, whenever we make that decision to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God and the Spirit of God comes into us and they do a work not on the outside, the Spirit of God is doing a work on your heart, changing your heart, convicting your heart. Those things that you used to do, your heart is now convicted of that sin. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart. God is saying, when I come in and I work, I work on the heart. Why? Because the heart is the conduit from which everything else in your life flows. Again, I'm going to ask you, how's your heart? The emotions, the reaction to life, are all reflections of your heart. The way you respond to life, the way you respond to your boss, to your teacher, to your spouse, to your sibling, it's all God says is a response of your heart. Do you pay attention to your heart as much as you do your physical body? Every morning, I think all of us here, we wake up and we look in the mirror. Either before we get in the shower or after we get in the shower, while we're getting our hair ready, we all look on the heart to see what our physical body looks at on the outside. How often are we looking in the mirror of our heart? The mirror of our heart James says, is looking in God's word, seeing what God's word tells us about our heart. Looking at our heart means having good godly conversations with those in your home and with those that you trust and love that says, please tell me things in my life that you see that I need to work on, things in my life that are not bringing God honor and glory. That's looking in the mirror of your heart and taking inventory of your heart. 
And the best way for heart change is to monitor what's going into our heart because what goes into our heart will eventually come out of our heart. What are some rhythms or we could say habits of the heart that we need to change in our life? What are some things that you are daily putting into your heart, a heart rhythm that is causing you to block up those spiritual arteries of your life? Is it some music you're listening to, shows that you're watching, things you're looking at on the internet that are completely destroying your spiritual heart that needs to change? Maybe it's some friends that you've built relationships with that you've had for years that continually pull you away from God. They continually put things into your heart that should not be there, that are destroying your heart instead of friends that love God. Friends that you know that are giving you godly advice. Friends that you know will pull you closer to God. Maybe it's you're drifting toward culture. The culture of our world is not something that we find in Scripture that God wants. The more and more we look and watch and accept the culture of the world, the more it changes our heart for things that are not the things of God. So I ask you today, how's your heart? What are you putting into your heart? And what's coming out of it? Because as we saw from Jesus, Jesus says the heart is not only responsible for our words, but it's responsible for our deeds as well. If you want to change, we all want to become, quote unquote, better people. But we want to, as believers, we want to become more conformed to the image of Jesus. If that is our goal, if that is our chance, if that is our, our purpose in life, what are you putting in to your heart? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the story of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 15 and how he challenges us to monitor and guard our hearts. God, you want us to glorify you. And we glorify you through the thoughts and intents of our heart. God, may they be pure. May they be godly. And God, may the world around us see our actions and our words that bring you honor and glory because of the purity of our hearts. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.